you should do this and you should make money from it. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm just doing the thing. And anyway, he offered to like have a session with me, like a one-to-one session with me afterwards. And he was like, the agency, forget about that. Like, this is the thing that you need to focus on. And I really struggled with that. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Alison Coward. Alison is the founder of, of Bracket. She is a workshop facilitator, she's a coach, she's a trainer, she's an author, strategist, and she's someone who's been in this game, as I call it, for a while, like working with a lot of great organizations like Google Channel 4, Etsy, Barclay Card, and you name it. So she's got a lot of experience and that's what we're going to delve into today how are you doing Alison? I'm really good I'm really good how are you? I'm doing well and just before we actually even delve into the experience I always like to start with going back to where where all this started for you like the the origin story of of Alison Coward so how did you start your business how did you start into into the arts game yeah well i mean actually they're two slightly different stories when you said go way back i was kind of thinking literally the the, the minute well the time i realized that i w- i wanted to work in the creative sector i was probably about 16 17 um i don't know why i mean when i was younger i'd always been quite creative i'd always um, like really loved art um, I used to, I taught myself like fashion design on the side. I was really interested in working in the fashion industry. Um, I was used to do calligraphy and things like that. So I think I always knew that I would go into the creative sector. Um, my business has kind of been an evolution of that. So my first degree, I did fashion promotion and marketing. Um, and then I um, started working. Actually, my first job was for a mail order company, a very small mail order company, but um, a mail order company that used to showcase the work of independent designers. Um, So I was always very close to people that were creators. Um, And then my second job after that was I um, joined an organisation called Hidden Art, which was a support organisation for craftspeople and designers. And again, I'd always kind of known um, that I'd wanted, that I wanted to work in creativity, but I didn't necessarily want to be a creator myself. I always wanted to support the development of creativity. So I guess that's where my kind of first degree came in, doing fashion promotion and marketing rather than fashion design. I knew I wanted to be on the side of kind of elevating creativity. Anyway, yeah, so my second job was um, this organisation that supported craftspeople and designer makers. Um, My third job after that was I used to work at a contemporary art gallery, a contemporary crafts gallery. Um, And whilst I was doing that, I actually was doing an MA in the background called Enterprise and Management for the Creative Arts. Again, um, in this area where I really wanted to understand what made creative people tick and what made them want to start up their own practices. And how could I, as an individual that worked within the arts, support them um, to grow and develop their businesses? 
So that's kind of where it started. And then the sort of the next stage on from that is that while I was doing my MA, I actually came out the other end with a business idea, which was the start of Bracket, which is what I do now. I'm always curious, for someone who started off doing like calligraphy and different things like that, why didn't you want to get in there? Why did you see yourself as a support? I don't know. I, do you know what? I really honestly don't know. As I say, I kind of always loved fashion design. That's what I wanted to do when I started. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, and I don't know where that kind of, where I lost that, where I lost that kind of drive to do that and actually wanted to kind of work in the background instead. Um, but I know that when I went to do my degree, fashion promotion and marketing seemed to be the right thing. I mean, I did art. I did an art A-level as well. Um, but there was just something that switched in between me doing my A-levels and going to university where I decided that I wanted to be on the other side of creativity rather than actually doing it. And when I talk about creativity, I talk about it, I'm talking about it in that sense, in the practical sense, because, you know, creativity is super broad. I feel that I'm, I am creative in my role um, and what I do and in my work, but in um, sort of application of creativity as in producing things, like physical things, um, that's not where my creativity is applied. Do you have a definition for creativity? Mm, creating new things, yeah, coming up with new, new things. I mean, the thing is, is that I... Um, the work that I do now, which is around like team collaboration, I even talk about creativity and being creative in the way that you work, being creativity, creative and innovative in the way that you work. So for me, creativity is about problem solving, um, seeing something that is there's a gap and um, using sort of different methods and different thinking approaches to come up with a solution. Now, that can be like you say, a painting or a mu piece of music or um, a piece of craft, or it could be in a process, creativity in a process. So yeah, I, when I talk about creativity, I do like to talk about it quite broadly. It's just that, that the early part of my career was definitely in creative production. No, I, like, I like that definition actually, because I think a lot of times we put ourselves in in boxes and we say I used to say that all the time that I'm not creative I'm like this is this is not my field this is not what I do I don't create at all and then years ago someone pulled me up like because I was doing a lot of stuff on social media so I was doing like editing and creating posts on camera but they're like you do realize that that is creativity I was like no it's not it's just content creation yeah. you're like okay content creation is creativity <laughs> so and I think like you just you, you just said a lot of times we create stuff even at work and the processes that we do and how we come up with ideas all of that is creativity but we've just been so accustomed to actually you know creativity is art design fashion those kind of things is, is the limitations we, we tend to put on ourselves just based on how society views that word that's why yeah, i really liked yeah. your idea really i think we spoke before as well is in um you know i i see myself as like someone who um appreciates creativity but also appreciates Sort of the productive side and the, the business side so um i feel comfortable working with a group of creatives helping them to kind of make um order out of their chaos right and you know sort of bring their ideas together and turn it into something that can actually be delivered at the same time i love going into kind of tr businesses where people wouldn't see them as creative and helping them to become a bit more creative 
chaotic and creative and open in their thinking so it's almost like if you see creativity on one end of a, a continuum and business on the other which isn't how it is in real life but imagine that I almost sit smack bang in the middle so anyone who's on the creative end would look at me and think oh she's a bit more business oriented and anyone on the business end would look at me and say oh look, she's a bit more creative whereas I kind of see the best of both worlds. So you are the bridge that brings both worlds together? I would like to think so, yeah. And I mean, funny enough, that was the original version of Bracket. It, it's evolved a lot since then um, when I set up my business. So I, as I said, I came out of my MA with a, with a business idea. And the business idea was an agency that brought, brought independent creatives together into teams to create projects for corporate businesses. So literally, the business idea that I had was about bringing creativity and business together, giving businesses access to creativity that the, the creative producers that they may not have had access to um, because of their networks, but also giving independent creatives access to larger um, projects that they could collaborate on and produce things together and be of service to kind of, you know, perhaps businesses that they might not have had access to before. And I'm um, speaking of, you mentioned you reinvented Bracket. What was that process like for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting because I wouldn't really call it like a conscious reinvention. It was more like an organic evolution, almost out of necessity. But I'm kind of looking back, I'm really glad that it happened. So as I mentioned, when I came out of university um, doing my MA, I had a business plan. Um, and this business plan was for this agency. Um, which brought together independent creatives into teams to deliver projects for clients. And um, I had a really good network of creatives, but what I lacked was access into the, the businesses that I wanted to sell to. I'd always worked for arts organisations in a university, so I, I just didn't have those kinds of networks. So um, I did find it really hard to kind of get attention from potential clients. But anyway, I did start up um, the agency with a couple of projects. And what was interesting was what people actually found more useful than the end product that the team of creators would produce was the process that I used to get there, i.e. the workshop facilitation. Um, because I brought together a team of people that likely hadn't met before, um, and they're all in different disciplines, whenever we got a project in, we would need to get together and brainstorm. And because I wasn't one of the creative producers, I would facilitate that process. Um, and that's what people started paying attention to. They were like, that thing that you're doing when you're bringing people together and creating this great environment and encouraging us all to be creative and get all these great outcomes, I want you to come and do that for my team, or I know a team that could really benefit from what you're, what you're doing. Um, so reluctantly, my business kind of shifted into a workshop facilitation agency. And I say reluctantly because I was really wedded to this idea of the agency. And I remember actually, um, it's quite interesting. I remember sitting down with um, a um, someone who was actually quite well known as a businessman. And for some reason, for various kind of avenues, I had been offered to facilitate a session that he was part of. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, you've got a really good skill in this. He's like, I've been in, sat in loads of meetings and you're by far one of the best facilitators that I've ever seen. You should do this and you should make money from it. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm just doing the thing. And anyway, he offered to like have a session with me, like a one-to-one -one session with me afterwards. And he was like, 
the agency forget about that like this is the thing that you need to focus on and I really struggled with that because when I set up the agency it really wasn't about me it wasn't about me being like you know the facilitator and being the center of the business it was about me like bringing other people and putting them in the, the center of the stage so anyway reluctantly it took me a long long time to really um accept that this is what my business was going to be um and so i kind of stepped into it and i just you know start reinvented bracket as a workshop facilitation company doing the team development stuff um, and actually i mean it's always been this sort of one thread that's always kind of been present through the evolution of Bracket, which is this idea of collaboration. That's what I've always been passionate about. And when I started up Bracket, it was about bringing independence together to collaborate. And now, um, because of the workshop facilitation, it's more about working in organisations, in teams with organisations. But it, it kind of, as I say, I was very wedded to the idea of the agency. So it took me a long time to let go of that. But when I saw like the facilitation really taking off, um, it's, I mean, it's super interesting because I did this thing that felt really natural to me and I really believed in. I got approached by somebody who saw me facilitating to write a book. Um, I wrote a book on running workshops and then I got invited to speak at conferences and then one thing led to another and I, all of a sudden I found myself doing this thing that I'd never even envis envisaged for myself as a business owner, but standing on a stage and speaking to people about running workshops, which was not how I pictured my business when I started it at all. Wow, that's that's nuts. I think that idea you just talked about right now of having an idea of how you see things unfolding and you hold it onto it like with two hands, like I don't want to let this go, yet being shown a light that actually there might be something that's better that you can really walk down that path. How long did that decision take you? Because you said even even after you had that conversation, you still struggled. So how long did that decision take you to kind of let go of that? I'm thinking years, honestly thinking years, that for a long time I was kind of thinking to myself, do you know what, I'll do the facilitation because it's bringing money in, but I'm still going to go back to the agency. Um, you know, it took me a long time to kind of really let go of that idea because this is that's the idea that I'd spent three years studying in my MA, like and exploring and researching and kind of getting everything together. That's why I kind of called my business Bracket um, because of this idea of bringing people together. Um, and it was there was also a lot in there about my identity as well. Like I'd never pictured me running a business where the business was based on me standing in front of a room um, and talking about what I do. I kind of, you know, I was a project manager. That's what I kind of did. And so, you know, project managers kind of make things happen in the background, but they're not upfront talking about how they do what they do. And um, so it was really, you know, there was definitely in terms of the idea, but also in terms of like my own personal development and how I saw myself as a business owner. Um, looking back now, where I am now, I couldn't be more de delighted that it's unfolded in the way that it has. Like I am so happy to be doing what I'm doing. Like I feel so passionate about it and I really feel that I'm in the place that I should be. Um, but looking forward, I really, like, you know, going back in time and looking forward, I really, really resisted this change. But it was only when I let go and I was like, right, do you know what, Alison, you're saying in your head you're being stubborn, but the universe is telling you something else. And when I let go, that's when things started to unfold for me. You know what, there's, there's, a, there's a massive, a massive learning in that for, I know a lot of people listening right now, because... I see a lot, especially with um, with founders and entrepreneurs, 
when they, they have an idea and there's an evolution but the evolution isn't necessarily what they initially had planned it's kind of like well i need to let go of who i thought i was so i could step into who i really could be that can actually drive my future forward and you mentioned the fact that you'd never thought you'd be standing on stage speaking to people would you consider yourself an introvert naturally speaking Oh, I'm 100% an introvert. Do you know what's interesting? I remember early on in my career, I did the MBTI and I came out, I don't think I was very strongly extrovert, but I came out as an extrovert. And after a few years of running my business, I did it again and I'd switched onto the, you know, because, you know, there's a continuum, right? And you can, you know, you can fall at any point along that continuum of extroversion and introversion. And I tipped into introversion. Um, which was really fascinating for me that it had kind of evolved um, as I'd been developing my business. But yeah, I mean, yeah, those kinds of experiences, I do them. And I, you know, I do enjoy them to a certain extent, like the kind of sort of speaking, speaking, um, sharing ideas, that kind of thing. But it is exhausting as an introvert. It's running workshops, I love running workshops, I love facilitating workshops, but it's exhausting as an introvert. So how do you um how do you recharge? Because that's one of the bigger things about being an introvert. It's having that time when you're stepping into the public, and you do that and you feel drained and you have to step back again. So for you, what's your recharge process to be able to get your energy back? Yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot um, about this as I was doing it. Um, so one of the things that I you know I've learned is that if I am facilitating a workshop, then you know, I need to give myself time after, like, don't plan any big speeches or any big social events or anything where I have to put a lot of energy into after the workshop. Literally, you know, go home, Alison, lie under a blanket and recharge kind of kind of thing. Um, so I've learned a little bit more about that. But then also that's the capacity thing. Like I know, you know, as I'm running my business, how many workshops I can do in a week for example um like what my what my what my my tipping point is um I'm really curious to know like where you sit on the introversion extroversion scale so I say for, for me I'm I'm a naturally speaking I say I'm a introvert but I call myself an ambivert because whenever I need to I can step out stage perform to the crowd audience facilitate all that kind of stuff but my my default is just introversion I like my space I like just having that time to deep dive have some self inner reflection introspection work and yeah just just be with the people I want to be with <laughs> in small circles <laughs> rather than massive groups of, of people I enjoy that a lot more because you actually have a chance to have proper deeper conversation with people rather than having very very surface conversations with loads and loads of different people so that's just how I tend to operate mm. I think that's one of the like the key things. Um, I remember reading this really great article a while back around like how to um, support both extroverts and introverts in workshops. And um, like intro, I think you know the thing to point out is that introversion, extroversion, it's got nothing to do with like how shy you are. It's where you get your energy from, but it's also like supports your thought process as well. So that idea of small talk, um, you know, introverts don't like being put on the spot. Um, because they like to think things through, you know, and that's why small talk isn't as attractive to introverts because they do like those kind of deep, kind of um, more, um, 
I guess, rich conversations with fewer number of people, whereas extroverts, they get their energy from being around a lot of people. So they're happy to kind of like flip from conversation to conversation and like kind of speak as they think. So it really um, it's, it's super interesting that I'm, yeah, I'm sort of very similar. I resonate with that around, definitely around the small talk. So how does that um, show up? Because in your workshops, your, you create fun, vibrant workshops. And in a time where we're having meeting overload from Zoom fatigue <laughs> to even prior to lockdown, it was just meeting upon meeting upon meeting. And you have that, oh, I need to go to a meeting again. How can managers, how can leaders, how can entrepreneurs with their teams create and bring some creativity to their meetings to actually make it fun and enjoyable yeah you know um the i i mean there's no kind of scientific um sort of research behind this but my feeling is is that one of the things that makes meetings really draining and unproductive is when you are in a meeting and you haven't had the chance to contribute so when you are a passive attendee and when you feel like, oh, my time could have spent someone else, somewhere else, or um, no one's really listening to what, or interested in what I've got to say. That's one of the things that makes meetings terrible um, and also makes people feel really undervalued. So, you know, coming from a facilitator point of view, what I understand about facilitation and one of the things what I believe about facilitators is that when I'm facilitating, it's not about my voice. It's not about me speaking up and taking space. Actually, it's about me creating space for others. So as a manager, when you're running these meetings, like the first thing is making sure that you understand why you're calling all those people together. Like what is the purpose of your meeting? Based on that, making sure that you've got the right people in the room. If people don't need to be there, don't invite them for the meet to the meeting just for the sake of like them having them show their face, because that's going to waste both your time and their time. Um, thirdly, when you're in the meeting, making sure that you create in, an environment or a space where everybody is able to speak up and feel comfortable speaking up. So it's not just the people that are the loudest, not just the most senior people in the room, but you're creating activities that enable everyone to reflect on um, what is being discussed and actually contribute in the way that's comfortable for them. So one of the shifts that you might make as a manager is going from telling and um, kind of broadcasting information to asking questions. Like, what do you think about this? What should we do in this situation? What are your ideas for this? That shift instantly turns it from a passive meeting into something that's much more active and dynamic. And that will, that will instantly change like, the way that you, you run your meetings because people will feel involved. They'll feel listened to. They'll feel like they're important. They'll feel that they're valued. Um, and I'm not even talking about bringing in like, fun exercises here. I'm just kind of talking about like, making it a good conversation where everyone feels that they've got a place there. And that will that will instantly kind of change the engagement in your meetings. Yeah, see, I like I like the practical steps and tools that you can apply and take away straight away. Well, let's say um, I'm a manager who I struggle to ask questions. I've struggled to build relationships with my team, and I've led with my power or my position, using that as my power to drive them forward. How do I then? change my approach and start to do things differently because me asking questions might be stepping outside of my comfort zone and i'm not sure I want, i'm ready to do that just yet mm. i'd say start small so what is one area and it could be a tiny area 
that you feel safe asking a question around. And it could be something as banal as where would be the best place for us all to get lunch together? <laughs> right? If you can't do it around your work, do it around something that you feel you really don't feel invested in and actually you don't feel threatened by. Like somewhere where it's safe to kind of experiment and just shift that conversation and ask what, you know, what is it that you're curious to find out from people? Like how can you ask that question in a way that, you know, animates people? Um, and you know enables them to contribute and choose something as I say that you feel less wedded to less worried about the outcome and then see how it feels so I'm not saying you know you don't need to go in and all of a sudden like announce we're going to change all of our meetings I'm going to be asking questions I'm not going to be telling you anything like that's too drastic and you know someone going into that situation first of all likely to be really nervous and secondly it's likely to fail and especially if you've not done that before the people aren't going to the people that you're working with aren't going to be receptive to that because they're not used to it themselves but take five minutes out of an existing meeting and just shift it five minutes where you could do even at the beginning like ask a question do a check-in what's what's everyone working on this week or at the end of the meeting five minutes I'd just love to know like what's everyone taking away from this meeting today just want to try one new thing what's everyone taking away from this meeting today and just see how it see like how it feels see what kind of response you get see how it feels and then just keep practicing it because it is going to be uncomfortable it's going to be kind of a completely new feeling but just keep practicing it so that newness um that new uncomfortable feeling starts to subside and then you'll sort of get a little bit more brave in expanding that out you know rather than where should we go for lunch um what should we cover in our meeting next week so what you're describing is those are like safe safe to fail experiments is what we tend to call them where it's small little tiny steps in a sense but it's still safe it's still secure if it doesn't work out you haven't lost out much but you've actually grown and you know exactly. what works and what doesn't work speaking of check-ins what's your mm. favorite check-in question oh um i've got loads but i love i love check-ins i love checking questions where um like you get people thinking positively so what's the thing you're most looking forward to this week what are you most excited about for this project? I love questions like that. Um, curious, what are yours? What's your favourite check-in? Ooh, I think it always depends on the on the on the environment. So if it's like a a workshop with obviously people I don't I don't tend to know who those are initially, it's always around the workshop. It's always like, how are you feeling about this this topic, um, this conversation, or I might just do something completely random which is like what's the one thing you hate about workshops and literally mm. from the start you kind of just throw them off balance you're like yeah. mm, am I sure what I answer that I'm about to go into one you're trying to tell me what I hate about it but you kind of then turn it you Love turn it. it you turn it in his head so you get them thinking about workshops and then and it's things like that so I, I like to have fun as well so there are times when I throw in mm. um I've thrown in things like gifts or little short like reels into into the actual meetings and then I've asked them to talk about about that and, and do a check-in just based on that so it's I like to be fun interactive think a little bit outside the box rather than standardized yeah nice I think I got I've got a lot to learn from you though because you're you're miscreative so to talk outside <laughs> and, and, get, and get some proper tips 
How to take this? I'm sure there's lots we can learn from each other. (laughs) Definitely, I see so. And how have you seen things change in terms of meetings over the last? Is it twelve months now, or is it fourteen or fifteen months? It's fifteen months (laughs) since since we've got into since we've got into lockdown. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What have I seen change? Um, Well, this is this is super interesting because I think. You know, one of the things that I observed when everyone first went into lockdown, you know, there was obviously that collective anxiety and that collective uncertainty and no one knew like what to expect, what was going to happen. And I saw like a, a, a real kind of excitement also around the transition to working from home. People were very excited that all of a sudden they could use Zoom and they were up and operating and they could work from home and they could use their laptops. And, you know, we saw on LinkedIn like the like the influx of Zoom screenshots of people like we're working from home and we're happy that we're wearing like funny hats and that kind of thing. But I think what people failed to kind of really look at was like, how did work need to be transformed in that new environment? It was almost like they were kind of lifting work up and saying like, okay, we're working from home. We're just going to drop work into the home environment. And one of those things was meetings, right? So if you were having too many meetings, before lockdown then you were having too many meetings during lockdown they were just on zoom um and so i think what has happened is it's um it's uh accentuated it it's made it even more obvious like the sort of how much time was wasted in meetings because kind of being in back-to-back meetings in a face-to-face environment at least you can kind of get up and you know walk around the block or whatever in lockdown like you're literally glued glued to your screen so people really felt what back-to-back meetings were um so i think what's what's changed is it's almost like we've put a spotlight on what wasn't working before and what was what what um what needs to change um as i say if there were kind of things that were happening before in the culture that people didn't really see because it was almost like being a fish in water right if there are things that aren't quite working it's like do you know what we don't really know so we're just getting on with it but working from home you really started to see those things that weren't working in a real kind of um quite visible obvious way um so the conversations around team culture and kind of fixing work has, has started to evolve, which I think is really, I mean, it's fascinating for me because that's the area that I work in. And I feel like there's a real keenness to like really build work around people um, and not just accept that things are the way that they were because that's the way that they, they are, but actually kind of looking at like individual productivity, individual routines, individual commitments, like children, you know, people that are working from home and have had to homeschool or people that are like looking at their, looking after their elderly parents, people that aren't morning people um, and like, you know, get most of their energy in the afternoon. Um, like how do we create work environments around them so that everybody is able to thrive and do their best work? And those conversations have become much easier. Yeah, and on the basic level, what you're talking about is organisations seeing people as human beings rather than numbers. Because then you can get to understand the working patterns of, of their lives, of their families, of how they operate. But more importantly, actually, even by the more you do that, the more you then move to like, actually, this is not about bombs and seats. It's more around the output of the work and how can we get that while still taking all those other areas into account. And speaking about changes in, in culture, with this hybrid world that we are 
going to be operating and going forward. How do you see that affecting culture, generally speaking, and do you see that as a positive thing or as a negative thing? I think there's going to be challenges for a lot of organisations that it's new to. On the whole, I see it as super positive. Like I'm a massive champion of designing the way that a team works around the individuals in the team, because I feel that when you do that, that's when people are able to thrive and that's when you get high performance from teams. This hybrid way of working is forcing people to have conversations about that, um, which isn't easy if you've not done that before. But by having those conversations, you're creating work environments that work for more people um, than kind of a few, right? So, um, as I said, people with children and people with health, um, different health challenges, um, people that need to work part-time for various reasons or different parts times of the day. Um, by nature, you're going to be creating a much more inclusive environment. Um, by nature, you're hopefully also going to be creating better places to work, like work environments that people actually want to work within, rather than kind of that, that works with the way that they work, rather than having to readjust who they are to fit into a certain paradigm that's been kind of pre-existed for, for years and years. So I do see this on the whole as a positive. I feel that it's shifting towards us having conversations, like you say, about seeing people at work as human beings. Um, I feel that when we do create those environments where people are able to thrive more because work is created around them, then they see they experience work differently. Um, then because we spend so much time at work, that means that we're going to have different experiences, not only of work, of our lives. We're going to have, you know, hopefully, I mean, the way that I see this going in the future is that it's actually one of my visions, one of my hopes for the workplace is that we stop, stop seeing work as one of those places we have to escape from and take a break from and this kind of necessary evil and actually somewhere where we can go to thrive and get our energy from so that we can, when we come out of work, we've got more energy to give in the other areas of our lives that are important to us. Um, and I don't think we, we kind of like have that conversation around like the potential for what work can be. Um, you know, a place where people do go to develop and like cultivate conversations and cultivate relationships with people from different walks of life. So that contributes us to growing as human beings. So in the future, you know, maybe this is kind of 10, 15 years down the line. That's what I hope to see. But I do believe that this kind of shift towards hybrid working is like the start of that. Wow, that's a... Uh... That's a utopia yes. vision. <laughs> yeah. Of and I, but I, I 100% agree with you. Work shouldn't be a place where you go in there and then you're like looking at your clock, like how soon can I leave? It should mm. be more a place of actually I'm going to an environment where I know I'm going to get pushed in the right way. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. I'm going to have be able to add my ideas into that organization and actually have an input. Because mm. the more that you can have an input, the more that you're in an environment where you're purpose-driven, it makes such a massive difference to the way that you show up to the rest of your lives. Because there are times even right now where you spend the whole day at work and you come home and you're tired. And that drainage is not because of the physical work you've done. It's the mental drainage that it's, it's carried, that you've had to carry throughout that whole day. Exactly. But being able to be in environments where actually you come home and you're not drained and you're a bit like, actually, I'm full of... Got energy. I've got energy for my for my family. I've got energy for my friends. I've got energy for my business. All that kind of stuff. It moves and change and helps us to get that innovation and that growth that we tend to 
want in in organizations and generally speaking in our lives absolutely absolutely that's my utopian vision like a world where work isn't somewhere you escape from it's somewhere where you go to grow and develop and you have more energy and you know imagine that was is what work is like like imagine how that could change our communities massive that is so true what is your definition of, of leadership oh yeah um so yeah i've got i think again in the same way of creativity i've probably got a very broad definition of leadership um and i think again this comes from sort of stems from what i've learned from facilitation in knowing that when you're facilitating you are leading but you're not necessarily kind of up front and like making decisions in the way that you might see a traditional leader um, you're creating a space for other people to have conversations and talk. And that is a form of leadership. Um, so, you know, I think you do have the kind of traditional standard types of leadership, which is shown by your job title. But I do believe that anybody can can lead regardless of where they are. And I, you know, I believe a leader is anyone that um, takes initiative um, and supports people around them. Um, you know, when I think about leadership, I definitely do think about it through the lens of the facilitator and think, you know, there's lots of different types, but how do you serve other people, right? How do you make the environment around you better for the sake of other people? Yeah, I like that. And actually, to get to that utopia world that you mentioned, I think that model of the traditional leadership has to go because it's not, that's how things were done in the past, which has not worked. Prior to the pandemic, it still wasn't working. Now we've been kind of forced to reevaluate certain things, a new model of what a leader is like, which is exactly what you described, where it's actually you're putting other people in front of you, you're listening to the voices and opinions of other people, you're building the relationship, you know your team and you understand them, you're all about driving change through your people by driving the best out of them. That's that's the leadership. That will get us to that utopia. I'm going to call it Alice in World. There's lots of of other things to Alice in World, believe me. (laughs) Maybe that's for another podcast. (laughs) What's been your your biggest inspiration in your work? Oh, that's a big question. So many things. I mean, I think kind of creativity, seeing creative people, I mean, that's, I don't quite know where the kind of the, the creative spark came from me earlier in my life. I probably have to explore that at some point. But I think, you know, one of the inspirations for me in, you know, even talking about this kind of utopian world um, is what I've seen happens when you do get people in a room and you just let them be themselves and you let them bring their expertise out. And, you know, I've done, you know, when I did my MA, I did lots of reading um, around, um, like, you know, how to encourage creativity, the creative industries, um, like how to support the creative industries, um, how to encourage collaboration. That, I mean, that's kind of underpins everything that I do at Bracket, even stemming from, you know, my MA. Um, I'm saying kind of what we're kind of almost 15, 17 years ago now that I did my, did my MA, but some of those kind of readings really stay with me. Um, in terms of people, what has inspired me? Such a hard question. I think I've just been inspired by so many different things. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to answer that question, actually. I need to reflect <laughs> okay, on that and come okay. back to you. So you guys heard that first, though. No? <laughs> 
What's inspired you? How would you answer that question? Ooh, look at this, you turning around. Look at the coach coming out. Okay, okay. Um, there you go. <laughs> you know what? My, my, my biggest inspiration is my family. Um, my, my wife has, my wife and kids have driven me to just push to be better in every single area of my life because I feel it's my duty to be authentic to them and to model the right, right behaviours. And by me doing that, it drives me forward and it drives me to want to see change for them, especially my kids and the work you do around inclusion um, and equity, to see change in organisations and the work around leadership and actually having that 21st kind of century leadership model going forward as well. So those are, apart from multiple other different things, that's probably my biggest, my biggest drives and my biggest inspiration is them. Mm, I love that. I love that. What does success mean to you? Oh, another big question. Shopa, you're coming at <laughs> Listen, all the big I questions. told you, I go deep. That's what we do out here. I, I go deep. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, what does what does success mean to me? Do you know what I mean? I think if you'd asked me sort of twenty years ago, ten years ago, now the definition is so different. I mean, I run my own business, so there's definitely a lot of. Um, kind of success wrapped up in that for me um as i've got older definitely that definition has has shifted um you know we're i think we're surrounded a lot by sort of what natural and what not natural what normal is like what is a normal route for your life what is a normal route for your career and i feel in so many of so, so many of those areas i've taken a different path to the people around me so if I was to define success on those kind of traditional paths, you know, I would define myself as a failure, right? But um, so really sort of, I think one of the things that I've definitely learned is how to define success on my own terms. I mean, one of the things really is, you know, that's come to light for me, particularly over the past year, is like, how do I feel when I wake up every morning? Like, do I feel happy and content when I wake up every morning? Um, if you'd asked me that kind of 15 years ago and said, is, is that a definition of success? I'd be like, what are you talking about? But now, that's so important to me just to wake up and feel like I'm in the right place. Like I'm on the right path. That's definitely a definition of success for me. Like feeling grounded. Um, you know, I think another thing, I mean, I guess, you know, this is all very work related, but, you know, I guess... I still feel like I've got lots to do, lots that I want to do within my business. I've got lots, you know, I've still got lots and lots to learn. Um, but one definition of success is, you know, am I always learning as well? Um, another definition of success is the fact that I'm able to kind of get up and I'm planning my day. I have complete autonomy and control over how I do my work and where I do my work. And that is like, you know, for me, that's definitely a definition of success. So there's, I think there's lots of things. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go into that in a whole hour coaching session, couldn't we, really? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like that. I like the... I think there are times when when people define success, it's so easy to go to the financial things or the those kind of things. But the little... Being able to be like, I wake up in the morning, how do I feel? I wake up in the morning, I have control of my day. I know how I want to spend my day that's your time like time is the most precious thing you, you can never get back 
So to be able to have control mm. of that is is success, which actually most people can't say that because they have to wake up and they go to work and you've got someone else telling you what you need to do when mm. and showing up. So I think that's actually really, really powerful. That's, yeah, I love that. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure just learning about you, your background, where you are right now and about reinvention and listening to those gems around actually being able to create and change things when it comes to meetings and most importantly having less meetings like i think that's the that's the number one key yeah? have less meetings Definitely. like it's like having meetings for meetings yeah. sakes. like come on what's the point but really really enjoy this conversation yeah. and as you all heard we're going to be back in. we're going to go into a little bit different you know we're going to get into into the, the, the other the other lifestyle of, of allison <laughs> And see and see what's going on in that that introverted yes, part that she likes yeah. to keep. And I'll, I'll come in my deep questions because that's how I roll. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, thank do you know what? Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun, and you know, like you, you, great, great questions, great questions. You've really made me think about what I think. You know. Um. So thank you. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and this is Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any of the episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, Share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.